to the Marketing Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Barker. Today, I have with me Roger Dooley, a marketing pro, author, and international keynote speaker. He's a serial entrepreneur and an expert on using brain and behavior research to improve sales, customer experience, marketing, and corporate culture. On today's episode, Roger shares his journey with us. Join us to discover the challenges he faced, how he overcame them, and the lessons he learned along the way. However, before we get started with the episode, I wanted to tell you guys about our services. You can contact us anytime if you want to boost your brand's online visibility through content marketing, influencer marketing, online PR, and SEO. You can also check out our consulting services or visit our website, shanebarker.com, for more information on our fully managed services. And now back to the conversation with Roger Dooley. Excellent, you guys. Hey, you guys. We're we're super excited today. We've got uh, Roger Dooley, who is... I mean, been around for doing marketing. We, we'll probably go into that here in a little bit. Is marketing has written, I don't know how many books at this point, which we're going to jump into friction. And there's a number of other books he's written. Um, I actually was a huge fan of Rogers because I've, I've listened to a few of his books through Audible. Um, even before we got an opportunity, I, I, he had me on his podcast and now we're having him on my podcast. Um, and just honored that you were able to take the time today, Roger, to jump on the podcast with us. Well, I really appreciate the invite, Shane. I'm uh, looking forward to a good conversation here. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll definitely give you a good one for sure. So just for anybody that doesn't know you um, in regards to the podcast, I know a lot of people have probably written or at least listened to your books. Uh, where did you grow up? I kind of want to get a little background on you. Uh, well, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and uh, spent most of my life, it seemed like, in that part of the world where I went to school in Pittsburgh, uh, um, ended up in South Bend, Indiana for boy, like 30 years, spent a brief time in Knoxville, Tennessee, about five years there. So that was my one uh, warm climate uh, stint. But then about 10 years ago, moved to Austin, Texas. So in great uh, high tech climate, uh, even though it is the beginning of February when we're recording this, uh, it is uh, headed for 80 plus degrees outside right now. Uh, so I, I can't really complain about that, Shane. No, man, it's Austin. It's uh, it's funny. So are you, uh, are you a Buffalo Bills fan? Actually, I am. Uh, believe it or not, I've been to one Super Bowl in my life, and that was the Buffalo Bills' first Super Bowl appearance where they lost uh, due to an errant field goal kick. Uh, and they they came back uh, three more years after that, and they lost every time. Man, they, they were they were looking good this year, man. I have a, a friend of mine, an old neighbor, actually, that's a huge Buffalo, and he's here in Sacramento, and he's a huge Buffalo Bills fan, so I'm always kind of watching them. Uh, to me, they're, I feel like they're kind of always a little bit of the underdog, and so I was kind of hoping they would do something big this year, but maybe next year. You guys are looking good. Well, yeah, they, they've looked good for now, you know, a couple of years, and Josh yeah. Allen seems to be getting better and better, so uh, we're keeping our fingers crossed. But it's being a Bills fan has uh, kind of been like being a Cubs fan for so many years. You know, it's uh, <laughs> an exercise in frustration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely, definitely trying. But you guys are getting closer and closer. You know, I'm, I'm a 49ers fan. And so we've we've had some great years and some bad ones. And, you know, we've kind of gone on and off and with the quarterback, which once again, this is we could talk about football for another hour, <laughs> not get into to, the, the juicy stuff that we got going on. So so you, you grew up in Buffalo. So how big was your family growing up? Uh, I was an only child and uh, lived with my mom and then uh, also my grandparents uh, and my mom for a while. So uh, it, it was a small family, no siblings. Gotcha. And then um, are you sick? I'm, and I, and I say this proudly, are you, you a little bit of a mama's boy? And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a good way. I'm absolutely a mama's boy. Do you, you good relationship? I don't know there? if I would identify as such or not. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I certainly owe a lot to my mom where there we go. Uh, she was able to uh, uh, provide me with a, a great education and uh, certainly sacrificed quite a bit herself to, uh, you know, 
allow me to proceed in life and get to where I am today. That's my first awesome. book, I, in fact, I, uh, she was in on the dedication because um, she was uh, really, um, uh, you know, part of my inspiration. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's I, I'm I'm a huge mom's fan. I love my mom. My mom is like, and my mom literally lives a mile and a half from me. So, you know, once again, without moms, boy, sometimes this this thing called life would be difficult. So that's awesome. You did that for your mom. So, any interesting facts growing up? Like anything fun, interesting that maybe people don't know about you? Um, nothing that's uh, you know super exciting, Shane. I guess um, uh, I started high school at 11, finished at 15. That's kind of weird. Uh, finished college at 19, undergrad school. Um, probably the uh, other kind of unusual thing that I did was for a while when I was still living in Buffalo after graduation, uh, I was involved in car rallying, the performance type of car rallying, the sort that you occasionally see on ESPN these days or one yeah. of those channels with uh, cars uh, thrashing through the desert or through the forest or something like that. And I did that for a few years. It was fun. But then uh, the move to Knoxville pretty much ended that because uh, I was having to fly long distances for any event because they typically were in Canada or the very northern part of the United States. Gotcha. Yeah, that is interesting. So how did you get into that? Like, it's just... Uh, it just kind of happenstance. I was mm -hmm. uh, doing some of these sort of little local rallies that were more navigation, fun, time, speed, distance, they called them. Uh, and just uh, sort of graduated from that into the bigger leagues, ended up uh, running in a few um, world championship rallies when they were held in the US. And uh, that, that was really uh, interesting. And at that point, the Europeans were way better than the Americans. Yeah, that's funny. That is funny. I, I love that. I always ask that question because I'm always interested. There's always something that somebody's done that you would just never guess. You know, it's like, well, I was kind of in some interesting stuff. I did this and did that. You're like, oh, that's interesting. And you were saying that you went to school. You actually, where did you go to school at? Or in college? Uh, I did my undergrad at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And you said you graduated, I, you graduated high school way early and then college. Yeah, yeah I just did, uh, I did four years of high school and four years of college. I just did them a little bit earlier than most. Uh, and it was, it was kind of interesting. I mean, there were certainly issues. I was not involved in any um, competitive athletics uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, the research on that shows that uh, even students who are a few months older than the others uh, because of their birth month, that they qualify for, uh, you know, they're sort of held back a year, uh, do significantly better in athletics than uh, their peers. So uh, that, that wasn't a thing, but I did uh, get into the workforce earlier. So I felt like I uh, maybe saved a few years of uh, spinning wheels there. Yeah. You know, it's funny. So my, my son, and I remember this with, cause he was pretty competitive in sports. And I know that a lot of the dads at a certain point put their kids back one year and I was like, yeah. why are they doing that? And that's exactly what it was. We found out that a lot of them were like, like, well, they just not doing good in school. No, we just, we put them back a year. And I'm like, I realized it was, that's exactly what it was for the competitive advantage. Right. It probably works for academic reasons too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I, at that time I didn't understand what the deal was. And then later on I was like, Oh, it's a strategy. We're using strategy with the kids. I got it. Okay. That makes sense. Right. Well, at, at that age, uh, you know, an extra 12 months of physical development uh, is huge and maybe not quite as huge, but probably that, that exists too. Yeah. You know, that makes sense. And then what was your major in college? I, I was a, uh, an engineering major, a chemi of all things, which I actually did for a few years after I graduated, not too many. I got into uh, project management and then product management pretty quickly. And 
um, didn't really do any serious engineering work, but I, I like the idea of an engineering background, Shane, because I think it kind of teaches you to deal with the world as it exists. Yeah. It teaches you problem solving. You know, if you are doing any kind of engineering, whether you're building bridges or designing circuits or uh, a chemical plant, uh, you can't really have any magical thinking going on. You can't assume things are going to work. Uh, you really have to deal with the world as it exists. So when you get into areas that are a little bit softer, like marketing or management, uh, I think that's good training. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great foundation, right? Because it's like it's this. It is what it is. You, there's no fudging things or doing things like you. You have to. There's you have to look at the 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 strong facts. You have to look exactly what's going on and be able to assess it from that situation. So that's interesting. Yeah, the, the, the weird thing, uh, Shane, is that uh, I was um, a chemi major and I had a very early interest in computers. This was just when uh, computers were beginning to uh, become a thing. Uh, I started off my uh, computer career with massive decks of punch cards. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I was I was doing this for fun, basically, um, at night. It was, and my, my actual grades and my classes were suffering because I was having, uh, you know, a lot of fun uh, uh, with some of my fellow students, uh, you know, playing with computers, writing programs, doing goofy things and so on. And I went to my advisor and said, you know, I think I'm thinking about changing to uh, a comp sci major, which actually wasn't, the, they did, comp sci as a major did not exist even at Carnegie Mellon that now it's one of the preeminent comp sci schools in the world. But at that point, it was part of the electrical engineering department. Ah. And, uh, uh, and he said, you know, uh, these computers uh, might well be a fad. Uh, you know, there's always going to be a need for chemical engineers. Uh, <laughs> and he, he talked me into sticking with my current major, which uh, it could have turned out very differently. Mm -hmm. As it was, it took me uh, you know, another decade or two to actually get back into the technology field. Man, so one of the, one of the early adapters going in the right, well, not say so you went in the wrong direction, going in the right direction, and then they're like, I don't, we don't know if these computer things are going to be right, around. Yeah, it's they, like, they may not pan out. <laughs> got to be careful. Got to be careful, Roger. You don't want to go in the wrong direction or anything, or go in the right direction, right? We got to be real careful. That's funny. Well, you know, that's, I've always thought about that, like with, you know, with counselors or somebody says, you know, they have their, obviously they're making their assessments off of things that they know. And okay, this is what I think would be good for you. Now, all right, sounds good. I mean, I remember in my high school, I was, um, I was doing photography and I really enjoyed photography and there was, and I won a state, um, I won a, a second place at the state fair here in, in California. And I was excited about that. I'm like, I really want to be a photographer. And then I remember going into my counselor, my counselor, you know, you meet with them twice a year or something. And he says, yeah, I just don't know unless you want to do weddings and stuff. And I was like, ah, I'm like 16 or 17 years old. I don't know if like, weddings don't sound really great when I get out. And I think I probably, you know, my, my, to go to college to, to shoot pictures. And so anyways, I got talked out of it. A little different though. Computers probably would have been, I think me being a photographer, eh, you know, I mean, maybe I would have done okay, but it's probably yeah, a little better that I jumped into tough marketing. career choice. It's it one is. of those uh, star system things where there's a few photographers who really make it big. Uh, and there's uh, a fair number who sort of grind out a living doing it. And then others who can't even manage to do that. So yeah. In that case, it's a wise choice. And they say, follow your passion, Shane, but uh, follow your passion isn't always the best advice, at yeah. least from the standpoint of supporting yourself in the long run. Yeah, yeah, you got to look at longevity and what you're going to have to do. Yeah, uh, there's there's not too many photographers that are, you know, or, or making the money that I think that that I would need to have made, you know, the moving, you know, through this thing we called life. But so what was your so, okay, so you have an interest and I love your the background of the, the chemi and then kind of where you ended up today. So what was your first job out of college? 
Uh, as an engineer on pollution control and filtration equipment, uh, a fairly prosaic type business with a big industrial company that no longer exists as a brand anymore because they got acquired as so much, there's been so much consolidation in that space. But it was, it was sort of a good foundation. A few years later, I switched to one of their competitors uh, and moved into a sales sales engineering position. And then from there in that same company into project management. Uh, and that was really sort of the transition uh, out of engineering and into more management roles. Because uh, at that same time that I was doing that, uh, I moved to Knoxville and finished up my MBA at University of Tennessee. And uh, that sort of really altered my career path because at that point, I the company that I was with really didn't offer uh, too much opportunity and um, moved to a company up in the South Bend, Indiana area, uh, actually across the border in Michigan, and for a project, ma a product management position. And that was much more heavily marketing oriented. And I really loved marketing. Even in undergrad school, uh, I had a great interest in advertising and couldn't really act on it at all. But I did take a course in the psychology of persuasion, uh, mm. focused on advertising. When I was supposed to be studying differential equations, instead, I'd be reading Advertising Age in the library. So it, you know, it took a few years, but I ended up uh, back in the marketing and advertising space. And that was a really a good uh, education for me because we were, uh, had sort of, I guess what I call soft P&L responsibility. We, were, we <laughs> didn't really manage the plants, but we were responsible for our product line making money. So uh, it, was, uh, it was really a great experience and uh, promoted there to being in charge of uh, strategic planning for the corporation, which at that point was a Fortune 1000 company. I was just 30. That was for me, Shade, I thought I was in my ideal career position for life. I had expected for a fair number of years to really follow a corporate career path. I really mm -hmm. felt like, okay, you know, I'm going to work my way through, up through the corporation because that was sort of the the career path that you can you know imagine in your head. It's like, yeah. uh, you know, you can sort of see the progression move from this and this and this. And uh, uh, was in this great position of working with uh, every uh, every of the divisions in the company of the different companies that were scattered around the country and the world uh, to uh, develop each of their strategic plans, analyze their competition. So was, from a from a strategy standpoint, it was really a lot of fun. Absolutely loved it, and I chose that moment to to bail out and become an entrepreneur, uh, and that was probably one of the most wrenching experiences in my life because I had to tell the CEO that had brought me into the company a few years earlier, I had then promoted me to this really cool job uh, that I was going to depart with my work, <laughs> not even partly done at that point, because I felt I had a good entrepreneurial opportunity. And uh, that was in the early days of home computers. Uh, I had, with another uh, individual, had just started as a little side gig, a mail order business, uh, serving owners of TI home computers, uh, which was really the uh, briefly the preeminent mass market brand along with Commodore. Uh, and you could not find products for these. The big box stores were selling the computers because people wanted to buy them. Mm -hmm. They were selling a few of the software cartridges at that point. This, this, was, <laughs> this was the old days when software came in cartridges. <laughs> and they, um, but they didn't have either the will or the ability to carry anything else, but there were literally hundreds of products for these early computers. Uh, there were peripheral hardware peripherals, there was software of all kinds. And so 
the opportunity that we saw was to offer these to consumers on a direct marketing basis. And we got some early traction while we were still doing this uh, on our lunch hours and after work. Uh, and I, after about a year, I bailed out to do it full time. And uh, that business had a, a really interesting run of about uh, uh, 12 plus years, filtered into, uh, oh, I don't know, like 25 plus million in sales, uh, diversified into different areas. And uh, so it was, it was really uh, a great entrepreneurial experience. And also, uh, equip me, Shane, for uh, not being part of that corporate world because, uh, you know, for my first job on, I was always part of a big company. You know, there were there was a, a human resources department, there were lawyers, there were, uh, you know, marketing people. There were every every discipline you want was there for you to call on if you needed it. Yeah. Where suddenly, when you are in a a very small startup, you know, there's no there's no help. Uh, there's no HR department. You've got to deal with personnel issues you've got to deal with legal issues. And of course you can hire outside counsel, but that's really expensive. So you, you have to do that selectively. And uh, you know, if the uh, toilet backs up, uh, you're not even necessarily going to call a plumber. First, you're going to try and fix Grab it yourself. Plunger. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it was, it was really uh, a great education and uh, also uh, dealing with scaling growth uh, because we scaled through multiple office and warehouse facilities. We scaled through, I think, three significant uh, computer migrations, uh, which were like <laughs> order of magnitude migrations. So, uh, you know, this this was really uh, an entrepreneurial education for me. I, I love that. You know, it's I always tell people that people that want to jump into to entrepreneurship, I'm like, listen, it's it's all that we want to leave a corporate job. I'm like, listen, just so you know, like you're going to be the president, the secretary, the treasurer, you're the janitor, you're the accountant, you're everything, which is some, you know, once again, it's not a bad thing, but it's like when you leave the corporate world, just know that it's, it's different. You don't, you know, when you have a problem with your computer, you don't go and, you know, just give the IT guy a call and he comes over and grabs your computer and fixes it. And then 30 minutes later, you're back up. You're the IT guy. You're everything, right? And it's a yeah. different set of responsibility, which is not, but then again, you're also in control of everything and you can, you know, there's a lot of other things that, that can happen there that can be good. But, you know, I always tell people like, hey, if you're leaving a, a, a job in the corporate environment, not saying don't be an entrepreneur, but just know it's a totally different thing. Like you're, you're jumping in, you got to jump in with both feet and you are everything until you get enough money to, to hire out and, and, you know, start, you know, kind of getting it so you can scale so that you have some help, but it doesn't happen in the beginning. It takes time. No, you know, and I've got sort of the counterfactual for that because, uh, well, uh, after a few years where we were uh, successful, we were looking for additional opportunities in the direct marketing space because we really felt that we were more of a direct marketing company, a mail order company, than we were a uh, computer company or technology company. And uh, we found a local business that was selling a uh, diagnostic, uh, medical diagnostic product uh, via direct marketing. Uh, that was in serious financial trouble. These we had been bootstrapped completely, and were uh, at that point generating some I don't know eight eight figure uh, sales. Uh, this company had gotten uh, like a five million in venture capital, and what they had done is what you're talking about. They had hired a, a staff. They had hired you know corporate uh, uh, HR people. They had hired a, a dozen salespeople and gotten them company cars. And needless to say, uh, their burn rate burn was rate. out of sight. Yeah. And uh, uh, so they were in desperate financial straits. And we ended up deciding not to try and salvage that. The, the, uh, the CEO or the founder of the company 
was in one sense its biggest strength because he had these tremendous relationships with suppliers in mm. overseas uh, that had really gotten him to the point where he was. That's that's why he had gotten his funding because he had unique relationships uh. based on his uh, years of uh, uh, in the U.S. industry. Uh, but at the same time, he did not see why his approach was a problem. And it was, you know, it's sort of like you can't do it with him and you can't do it without him. So, so we'll pass. Yeah, yeah. That's one of those things. When you have, when you get money like that and some people are like, oh, that's the, that's the best. And I'm like, well, but just no. But then you have other people that run your company. You have a board. You have this. You got to spend the money and then you got to have to scale at a certain rate. It's another level of stress. Bootstrapping, not saying bootstrapping is easier by any means. You know, because there are times when you do need capital, but there is some definite value to bootstrap in and saying, hey, listen, we're going to grow this thing at a certain rate. And then, you know, obviously you don't have to answer anybody. I mean, you have customers and stuff you answer to, but, you know, you're at the end of the day, you're the one who's making those those final decisions on things, which, you know, could be good and be bad. When you get funding, they have somebody in there that's going to help mentor you. And there's, you know, once again, there's, we can go back and forth on that, but that's awesome. So tell me a little bit about your entrepreneurship journey. I mean, and then how did you start writing books, right? Because obviously we've got an idea of you built your company up after 12 years, you guys are at 25 million. When then what point did you say, hey, I want to start writing some books. Like I've got some knowledge here. I need to kind of get this out. Well, I guess uh, it changed um, when my circumstances uh, with that company changed. We uh, hit what many entrepreneurs do, uh, a ma major hiccup. Actually, that company began with a major hiccup, Shane. I told you that we were initially focused on uh, supporting owners of Texas Instruments home computers. We looked at the players, their product was much higher quality than anything else on the market. Uh, it was uh, true, it was industrial quality. You had TI, who then was an enormous power in the chip industry, in uh, the calculator industry and uh, everything else. They were, uh, so we said, that we're gonna focus on those guys. Uh, about um, a couple months after I bailed out of my cushy corporate job uh, <laughs> into the world of, uh, you know, pay your own health insurance and everything else, uh, uh, TI said, oh, we are going to stop selling home computers completely and get out of that business. Uh, and, you know, talk about a scary moment. Uh, that yeah. was it. Uh, and fortunately, we had already begun to diversify into Commodore. We said, okay, we don't want to have all our eggs in one basket. Uh, even then we were diversifying already. And so we just really ramped up that and said, okay, we got to do this. Uh, and the, actually the good thing about their departure was there were so many uh, owners of those products out there that there was a strong aftermarket for a few years. And the big box stores completely dumped them. As soon as uh, TI pulled the plug, they just, dumped all the product out there that they could. So it actually was good for our business for a little while, mm. but of course, obviously it was not, not a long-term growth opportunity. Uh, and uh, uh, after a period of time, uh, uh, you know, Commodore became our major business as we were then transitioning into uh, the world of IBM compatibles, the uh, then uh, DOS computers, ultimately Windows computers based on Intel chips and uh, that was uh, interesting. The competition was very different there, but we were building a strong, a strong business there. Uh, and uh, at one point, we had already brought in another partner who had expanded us into uh, uh, system sales, uh, more of a B2B type selling. Uh, and we had become the biggest uh, comp education computer seller uh, in, the, in our region, in the Midwest region, 
where we were the exclusive computer supplier to places like Notre Dame and such. And we were building these computers under our own brand. So that was that was an interesting, a lot of fun. But uh, uh, at that point, uh, Commodore was still part, a major part of our business and our part of our, really a cash cow for us. Commodore, uh, through a horrible series of uh, mis internal mismanagement uh, uh, ventures on their part, went out of business. They were in trouble for a while. Uh, they declared bankruptcy and ultimately failed. And even worse, they took their technology with them. At that point, mm -hmm. they had the Amiga, which is was better than Apple's technology. It was a better graphical computer than Apple was at that point. But again, due to abysmal management, uh, the Amiga died with Commodore uh, and left uh, pretty much left the playing field open for Apple. Not that Apple might not have prevailed eventually, yeah. but uh, there were that pretty much cleared the field for them to win. And uh, that uh, and really put us in a world of hurt because that was our s second major market to go uh, completely uh, start vanishing. And uh, ultimately, our one partner uh, continued on with the business. We had also had, I guess, uh, the, the second scariest moment or the second scary moment, it might have been the scariest moment of all, uh, was at one point when uh, I'm sitting in my office, uh, in this company, we had built a really nice office and warehouse facility on a riverfront location, not because this was like, we were so incredibly profitable that we could buy the most expensive real estate available. There was an industrial development in our little city that happened to have a few riverfront lots and they were available and they were looking for people to buy them. Yeah. So we said, oh, okay, we're in, we're in. And we built a really nice facility. And one, one interesting transition, Shane, was our previous facility had been your sort of typical uh, profitable uh, uh, industrial facility, a beat up warehouse that was really sketchy. And, uh, you know, the offices were ramshackle, the warehouse was ramshackle. Uh, but I mean, we, we grew our business in it. Uh, when we had our new facility, our employees would bring their families in to see where they worked. Uh, and, you know, as, <laughs> as an entrepreneur, uh, when you realize that you have created something that it's has pride. created this pride in your employees yeah. where, Hey, I'm proud to say I work at this company. Look at this, you know, look at, look at this to you know, their spouse and their kids, look at this to their mom and dad, whatever, uh, you know, that it really makes you feel good. But anyway, I'm sitting in there and a certified letter arrives from the bank, which a uh, pro tip is not usually a good thing. Uh, they were asking me to show up uh, uh, within, I think, 24 hours uh, at their offices with uh, $1.5 million in change in cash of my personal money because I was personally guaranteeing the company line of credit, which they decided they no longer wished, wished to extend to our company. Oh. Uh, now, I, I did not have anything <laughs> like that kind of money. I didn't have 10% of that in cash. Uh, the, the company didn't have uh, the money to... Uh, you know, pay down the note. Uh, and this was, you know, an incredibly scary moment and even scarier. Shane, my wife got the exact same letter at home and she oh. immediately has visions of the bank taking our house, our savings, our kids, our oh, dog. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, this was probably my entrepreneurial low point, uh, just mm. saying, wow, you know, this has been such an amazing run. And out of the blue, we may uh, just not only lose the company, but lose everything. Uh, and the I guess the good news is uh, we went and we went through that horrible workout process with the bank where uh, all those, you know, those friendly smiling faces of the bank, uh, they vanish and you get new people and these new people 
uh, are not friendly people. Don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a, a Tom Wolf, the author, wrote an amazing book called The Man, A Man in Full, uh, which is a long read, but he's got an amazing description of a workout session for an uh, uh, entrepreneur there where the bank takes him into this horrible conference room where the sun is shining in uh, the guy's eyes. There's a dead plant in the corner. Uh, they serve him coffee that was brewed about three days before. Uh, and this is all to set the stage uh, to basically scare the pants off him so he'll pay off his note. And our experience wasn't quite that graphic, but that's that's what you go through pretty much. Uh, and uh, we went through that, but uh, my partners and I uh, buckled down, worked really hard, liquidated inventory uh, we increased sales so in those areas where we could increase sales we cut costs uh, did some uh, really painful headcount reductions and uh, ultimately uh, we did get rid of the uh, bank uh, and that was uh, uh, but and none of us none of uh, the uh, three partners at that point had to cough up any personal money uh, and so all was good in that respect but uh, that was really uh, also an education. And uh, after that, I've avoided personal guarantees on stuff because you know, some things are just uh, unpredictable. Like I did not feel when I did that, that it was a risk. Uh, yeah. And even at the point when we got the note from the bank, uh, I wasn't feeling bad about the situation. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it was just that uh, they had, we had a very friendly local bank. They'd sold out to a big bank headquartered in another city. Uh, uh, yeah. Their, uh, new big parent had different criteria and we did not meet those criteria and it was okay uh we're we're done with you guys and uh, it was really uh, an experience so uh, <laughs> oh, pro tip avoid personal guarantees whenever possible absolutely yeah no that's one of those things you know you do it because you think ah it's no big deal and then all of a sudden you don't know who's going to buy who and what's going to happen in some of these different parameters and it's the same loan but now you have somebody else uh, you have a new boss that says ah this is not the way we're doing things that's that's a scary situation thanks roger your journey into neuromarketing has been an eye-opener i'd love to continue our discussion but the time for today's episode is over our conversation doesn't stop here though on the next episode, we'll dive deeper into neuromarketing and how marketers can leverage it for consumer persuasion and user experience improvement. Stay tuned.